Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and this week we're talking to Tarang Kandedbal. I know I totally slaughtered that. I'm sorry. But yeah, you're here. You're front-end developer in India. And uh, yeah, we're. I love getting these authors off of Angular in depth. Looks like you've written a few articles on there. This one, we're going to be talking about dynamically rendering container, not containers, components based off of a string. So you're going to be dynamically selecting which component you want to render, passing it some uh, data from JSON. It's cool stuff. And anyway, so if you don't quite know what you need there, you're going to be uh, putting it in dynamically. But before we do that, um, I like to ask, just as we get into this, how did you get into Angular? Yeah. First of all, thank you, Charles, for having me here. Uh, I think I'm really excited to be doing this one. So starting, I mean, going into Angular, I mean, I was working with a couple of other frameworks, like Dojo to start with in my career. I started with Dojo and then moved on to a plain object-oriented JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to VMware and joined in uh, here in a network virtualization product. And then the company, as in VMware, is totally based on angular to start i mean right mm-hmm. now they are moving into this but then they, because they have their framework angular uh, open source clarity framework also yeah so that's why we, we have an ecosystem around angular and then that's where i started learning about angular like uh, angular 2 on around three, three years back and then i went look back on that. awesome yeah i i remember going to vmworld at one point and talking to some folks mm-hmm. about uh, clarity and yeah, yeah cool nice. stuff there too Yes, yes. That is developing. I mean, now moving away from Angular to web components. So, so to cater other use cases also, I think. Oh, interesting. Man, we should talk about that. That'd be fun. <laughs> anyway. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, it's funny. We get into these things and then I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that too. And yeah. uh, th- that that one too. So anyway, did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. But yeah, so we're talking about uh, using these component factories and component selectors, and and you're using strings. And I'm sure somebody just kind of went, you're using a string to pick your components. We haven't done that forever or ever, and that's gross. But maybe we should just start with why you would want to do this, right? Why? Why yeah. might you want to pick your component and specify it with a string? Yeah. So I mean, I, I even I I'm a TypeScript enthusiast, and, and then this this with the string looks like going away with the type safety sort of thing. But then there are certain mm-hmm. use cases where we that this really helps, and one would want to do it with a string. And, Things are really dynamic, but you should not be doing it for all cases, but there are right. always some cases. So, I mean, we figured out like we, we need something like this sort of thing where, where we have a, a use case where we wanted to use certain components across multiple modules, like in a big project. But then we don't know. I mean, things could be very really dynamic. Some component, I mean, based on the state of UI, you could render a different component and maybe some other component other time. 
I mean, without this way, we would have to basically put dependency on all those possible uh, modules or components. Like if, right. if this is a case, you have to import this, this. Basically, you have to have all of this. And then this this really messes up your chunk while the Webpack would build it. Although it could yeah, be like I, you... I you could, just to chime yeah. in, I could see this not being a major deal if it's like you're choosing between two or three. But if you have like 20 or 30, then yeah, that that, that could be a major problem, right? Right. And one more thing, if, if like one component is used in, let's say, 20 different modules based on mm -hmm. some certain user behavior, you would import one particular component or a module in all of those. And then this would also kind of mess your chunk. Yeah. So Webpack would internally form a common chunk out of this and all those use cases. But but I mean, this we, uh, we came out of this approach to simplify things and have certain level of uh, decoupling between those. Mm -hmm. And then there were use cases where we would actually we, we wanted something string based like uh, we, we ha have use case of having integration between application through iframes i know iframes it's not still some people would have questions on that but but we have uh, stable integration through iframes between products and those communicate based through inter iframe messaging and then that is based on string so imagine a use case, I mean, you have a platform application and certain other application comes into it and wants to show a dialogue, full screen dialogue. So that that basically would be through iframe only. I mean, we are doing it via iframe. You have a dialogue which internally will have a iframe and that can render a component. Now, which component to show in the dialogue is basically actually controlled by a, a application, another instance of the same application. So that message passing happens, like I said, in string. So the main applications told uh, tells the dialogue like this is the component you should render inside the dialogue so this communication happens over string right and with this mechanism you could simply do that like uh, render this component by loading this module so that is one of the use case but then i could imagine certain other use cases like people could have a json schema based rendering where you say okay this is my schema for a ui and then create create a ui out of processing on this particular JSON. So this could be useful in that also. And then, I, I mean, we are basically using it other normal use cases also, like you click on a button, show another UI, or let's say a Moodle or popover kind of thing, but it's dynamic. So once the user clicks it, we based on state, we load a module and then load a component inside it. So those kind of cases. And then we, we are able to pass inputs and outputs also to these components. Right, that makes sense. So essentially you're handing off a string and you're expecting to get a component back, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. So so how does that work then with something like Webpack where it does expect you then to import component builder component right. factory and 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 make all that work, right? Because mm. I can't import a string and magically expect it to do that, right? Right. The tree shaking comes into picture like, like you mentioned, yeah. like Webpack would not so basically tree shaking would come in picture and if you would try basically to render something which is not traceable or statically available, Webpack would basically remove it from your channel. So that was one of the problems we were facing and we, we, we got a way around this. So what we do is we have a, with this mechanism, one needs to have a common centralized registry where each module would, would basic and, and the configuration would be there for each module to say like these are my couple of uh, components that I want to be available dynamically and so and internally there would be a common processing that would create hash map saying okay this is the selector for a component which is part of this module 
and that way there is a reference and webpack also sees okay this is a component there so it it doesn't get removed as part of free shaking because there is a reference to that component somewhere mm-hmm. and so so the, this is there but and and then we can we can do tricks to have it lazy loading or a lazy initialization of those maps and all we we have done all all sort of optimization but but essentially we we are getting a, a reference to the component factory against a selector and that that basically allows us to create whenever someone requests a component by that selector that makes sense so it's all imported by your factory resolver is is what showed up in the code on your blog post and mm-hmm. then that essentially creates your hash map that you can look stuff up in right so we we have made couple of, i mean the all of those things are not part of the blog i mean this is a core of gist of it mm-hmm. the idea but folks can build things out, on top of this so what we have done internally on our project is we have created a base module on of our angular modules so each base module have certain common processing and and then the consumers simply have to define what are their components which they want to expose as dynamic component so so folks may be aware of entry components which got removed right recently this is we we expose similar interface for this also so just people have to inherit or extend from a common base component a base module and then they just mm-hmm. uh, specify a property with the uh, components they want to have at a runtime and then all of those magic like putting into a map and having a map of factory and all that can be done at a common place so not all modules have to repeat those basically so abstraction as and when one need can be built on top of it. so there needs to be a certain infrastructure folks can build into an application see similar with the consumption also like how one wants to use the selector to render components there could be a common component that can take okay input as a component string maybe inputs also so some of those details are part of my blog right that makes sense but but then you what you have is you have the this sort of lookup for the different components right yes so it's a lookup for a, a component factory basically we we just need a component factory but we need to load the modules also at first we, we don't want modules to be loaded upfront and available all time so right. what we need to specify like in the registry has to specify okay this module is part this this component is part of this module so it it basically needed okay i want to render this particular component please load my module and then render my component and pass this input to it right that is yeah that makes sense works. yeah you don't want to do all that work up front you want it to say okay now i need the yeah the factory resolver okay the factory resolver now says i need this component so now go load this component right yeah don't do all that work up yeah. front because i may not need the other ones right so yeah. i can imagine though too then that you might get to a place where you have a component factory that has a different set of properties than another component factory, right? So maybe I'm loading a user component or maybe I'm loading like book component or a movie mm-hmm. component or, a, you know, an automobile component, right? And they all have different properties. So how do you manage that if it's dynamic? Because they may look completely different. Right. So, so I, I mean, I'm assuming that by properties, you mean the inputs to the component, right? Yeah, yeah, the inputs. Yeah. So, I mean, those need to match for user, but I mean, uh, 
like I said, we we are losing kind of a type safety here because at the right. compile time we don't know what parameters would have to be there. So I mean, we we figured out how how best we can support like to catch those errors or maybe to at least have some feedback for the developers so to know like okay, you are doing something wrong here. So so I mean, so like I said, there would could be a common component that would do the passing sort of a thing, taking input and then creating component and passing it to the new component that oh, is created. Okay. We we could act, we will have a reference to the component. So at that point, we could do match of what inputs are passed and what inputs a component mm-hmm. take. So so basically, with IV, we have a property on component factory like input which would which has a map saying these are the inputs this component takes. So but but it would be a runtime kind of a check. So right. even we can throw errors for the developers or end users, developers mostly. Mm-hmm. So so what so, are the? Go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, I I was just saying we we lose the type safety at the compile time because we, this is completely dynamic. But this, this is one way we could have some safety around usage. Yeah. Right. So you would just have an input input, I guess, and you could just pass a, a an object through, right? And then it would have the structure that the component expects, and it just doesn't right. have any checks on it. Yeah, we will have to manually do a check, like compare to. Yeah maps and see properties if they match or not. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's runtime, we cannot do type safety, like a TypeScript sort of thing. Right. So what are the pros and cons, right? What what mm. what do people get out of this and what do they have to watch out for? Because I mean we're talking about the type safety here and that makes sense, right? Can't count on having that checked at compile time, like you said. So so, so what are I we mean, looking did... at as far as yeah, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad. So I think, like we mentioned uh, up front also, this shouldn't be done at for all components. Like just for fun, this this should be this trick should be used uh, only for specific cases where you want to complete decoupling and then you want lazy loading of components and components to be really dynamic. Don't want to put a hard dependency on modules. That, those are the cases uh, typically you would want to do it. Or having or imagining your case having um, showing a couple of components from a completely different module those are which are unrelated sort of a thing or maybe completely different teams working on it but you have a contract like a, these properties on chain those kind of thing you could do that but you don't want to put a dependency hard dependency importing so th- those could be use cases and like other use cases we mentioned we, those could be the use cases and then the pros mostly would be like not putting a dent on your bundle sizes and all upfront and Basically, and not importing a lot of a whole lot of modules just to show different use case, different components based on different user behaviors. If you feel UI changes or behaves to based on user behaviors, and you want something which is totally dynamic, maybe based on behavior, you want to show different components. A lot of them, then then this is the way. Or if you have like a limitation where only strings could work, like an iframe integration, then this could be one way. And and, and I don't see other way because you need something string based. So no questions of pros and cons there. And then any any use case you want a string sort of thing, like a JSON schema based. So those are typical use cases and pros would around around that, like build sizes and all of that. I think the negatives of this is like i think the type safety you are losing it and then there are chances of breaking the application at the runtime if if not used correctly and so there could be change there could be cases where one basically ships the code and then probably not testing it thoroughly and then you end up 
shipping bug basically but then this this needs to be tested on at the runtime in the browser so we know like oh, everything is working fine otherwise the customer can actually see the bug so basically needs to be tested on a browser for the type safety because we don't have type safety here. but and then i think on the use using it like a passing input and output could be little different from typically how one do it in angular so we talked about input like you have to pass a map mm-hmm. it's not as simple as putting just individual properties so because we we kind of map wire it up so if if so this works out if we have a clear contract which doesn't changes a lot between the owner of that other component or a module or let's say in a micro front end environment you might have those contracts also like my my micro front end wants to expose one component which is taking these inputs this could be a typical good use case or good way to use those components also yep so I, I do have a few more questions i think we we kind of understand how this all goes together mm-hmm. one of them is as you bring new people into this and they're looking at this code do they have a tendency to get lost in this and kind of go what's going on here Right. I think at first, a lot of people, I mean, it, it's obvious to get them. I mean, the first question they ask is, why, why, why we are doing this? Why do we need this? So if <laughs> there are new people, I mean, they don't they don't know. I mean, they don't understand if at first, if your performance is, how, how good are you doing in your performance, right? It depends on where people are coming from, how big the app is. Our app is, my, my particular use case is where the app is really huge, like uh, hundreds of modules more than 50, 55 developers working on it. So right. we also have to keep check on the build, build size and all. So there is a constant effort that goes into it. But someone uh, new working and coming into the team, they they tend to focus on their small story or the feature that they are working on, but not the bigger story. So, so that has to be built in into a lot of newcomers, like this is important and there is a reason we are doing it a certain way. So there is a little resistance at first, but but I think with time they understand like not putting a dependency, hard dependency on module helps in certain use cases. Right. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just I love it. I love it. It's like it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's gonna save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it, grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresinangular.com slash Raygun. Another, another question I have with this is, and it wasn't really covered in the article, is I'm one of those guys that wants to test my code, right? Because inevitably, whether I test it, write the test first, or whether I write the test afterward, 
I, I wind up either avoiding or finding a whole bunch of problems with my code right. when I write the test, right? Mm -hmm. How do you mm -hmm. test this? So like I said, we could have a laptop component which can take input, the string and the inputs to pass to it, right? Mm -hmm. We could we could do we could do this like if you want to test it, we could particularly yeah, test the, the mapping is pretty straightforward. Of, yeah, so we can test uh, like if this is the string selector, or these are the inputs. I should be getting mm -hmm. this particular output. If the uh, if something is changed at the runtime and my inputs are changed, the UI should basically reflect it. So so the component takes care of changing the input string at the runtime also, right? With ng on changes. So let's say on uh, for certain condition, you change the selector and the input that should behave that way. So all those things could be tested because that, that is kind of a static. You're saying this is my component and this is my input. So we know what is the expected output as well on the UI. Okay. The other question that I have with this is, by the way, I did like that you put credits in. Sometimes we get people on the show on and that's when mm -hmm. we kind of get the credit. Oh, we had some other people work on it with us. So uh, kudos on that. Just a little bit more to your story. How did you wind up writing for Angular in Depth? Yeah, so it started with my other article actually. So it was uh, I mean all those th all these things like that I do write up comes out of my daily job and whatever we do in a way that there. So tried to put it in an article. So I started writing on uh, my first article that was around theming Angular apps using CSS variables. So figured out like a CSS variables was around the content introduced new like couple of years back. Uh, we wanted to do theming also, but wanted to have a user-friendly way for developers, like 50, 60 developers, it should be easy for them to make sure the application is not breaking in either of the things. So we have light or dark theme. We wanted to do, bring in something easy for other developers to make sure their components or UI is working fine in all the themes. That's where I I was uh, looking at CSS variables. We, we introduced that, tested that, went into production, then we wrote this article. So uh, team from Angular in depth. Reach, I mean, I wrote it on Medium. So these uh, the folks from Angular in depth reached out to me. They wanted to publish mm -hmm. it again. So that started journey on Angular in depth. And then, uh, then at that particular time, I was working on this. I mean, Angular nine ten came out. We were doing upgrade and all. And then certainly all our dynamic components broke in due to IV and all. I mean, they just simply removed entry components and also. And then uh, there was a property called underscore factories that used to be their private property. A lot of folks in the community are were using it. So basically things broken. And then that's when we came up with this approach of uh, components by selector. And then I ended up writing this article. Gotcha. Yeah, the, the other question I had, it comes out of kind of the beginning of the article. It says that uh, before Ivy, you had entry components. And you mentioned this earlier too. And so you would just add the module to entry components and it would kind of come together and not get tree shaken. I hope that's the right term. So yeah, how do you make sure that it doesn't get tree shaken now? So, I mean, uh, if I, okay. So if you, if you see the um, one of the modules where I'm seeing that uh, we have a snippet saying uh, extend child module with a base module. Uh-huh. There is a, we, we expose of a property called dynamic components and then you basically pass components here. And then oh, okay. because you have it here, uh, we have, a, a I mean, the, there would be a reference to it. So basically they're statically analyzing this, won't be able to removing it I mean, because there is a oh, reference okay. to that component. That makes sense. 
Oh, were there other changes from Ivy that made this tricky or was that the only thing that really changed? I mean, it was a, it was not never documented, actually. Like, uh, there was a property called underscore factories, which actually were ha- was having uh, that selector, a string selector and the component factory, which we are now creating. It was already there in Angular before Ivy, but not documented pro- private property. So we, I mean, this was never supported officially. So that was the only way, I mean, rest because Angular already provides way for dynamically rendering components, I think from Angular 6 and above mostly. So rest of the support was there. It it was just the matter of how we get component factories. That was the only missing piece in the puzzle. Makes sense. Yeah, I've run into that with other technologies that I've used. I'm trying to remember what the names of the libraries were. I remember I've been doing Ruby for years and years and years, and there was a library, I think it was Ruby Gems actually. And they mm-hmm. had a whole bunch of public methods on Ruby Gems, which was the core of the command line interface. But there was a class, Ruby Gems, that ran everything right behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And so people got used to calling the public methods on the Ruby Gems class or the Ruby Gems module, even though they weren't documented as supported methods. And so right. they started changing the API. Yeah. And, <laughs> and people were relying on them. Right. And so, yeah. So people started pushing back and saying, hey, wait, I needed that. <laughs> and so that yeah, was I mean, a that's, big that's when the people the put requirements. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it caused a big discussion in the community because it was like, oh. well, we mm-hmm. never said we supported it, so should we support it? And I think both sides had reasonable arguments as to whether or not they right. should keep that around. But yeah, it's definitely interesting. So, right. yeah, this always happens. I mean, they never. I mean, they never said they officially support it, but they also never said they don't support it because it's, it's a public function. Right? So it yeah. happens all the time. I mean, with me also. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the other thing is, is that. Sometimes there are technical reasons for making it a public function, right? Where right. something something else may call it from outside, and so you need it to be public. But yeah, like you, public, public, but not actually exposing it to outer world. Yeah, that, that right, I understand. But, I think. Yeah, but you don't. You, yeah, you don't want to signal to everybody that. Right. Hey, go ahead and come use this. Right. So. Yeah. Anyway. Completely got it. Yeah. 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 It happens. So anyway, so that's that's a, definitely an interesting case. So, so what does your use case look like? I mean, you mentioned the iframes, and it sounds like you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Are there are there other use cases that you're putting this to, or is yes. that the primary thing? Yeah, no, no. I mean, we started with that, but we have. So, if you see our product, it's a configuration or a management kind of a product, networking mm-hmm. product. Has a lot of grids, like hundreds of grids in it, for because it's mostly configuration of objects, and then it drives all of your network and all of those. But basically, the UI has hundreds of grids. Let's say you are configuring your virtual machine somewhere or managing it. So these views are actually needed at multiple places also. Like you want to see virtual machines in particular use case, but you may also mm-hmm. want to see it in some other use cases. Like I said, you may want to see one grid at 10, 20 different places. So if, if you really want to have one component there without this wave, one has to actually import that module, which is hosting this component, right? And with this, you bring all of its dependencies also. Right. Right. And which That's is a problem, which is a problem, right? We don't want to mm-hmm. get all its uh, dependency. I mean, even if you may be just having a, so maybe let's say you don't, you load the module even at the runtime, but you would have a reference to the component and then component will have import for some other stuff like a service or 
constants all of that so basically it's a hierarchical import sort of a thing right you you importing component but component is importing some other stuff mm-hmm. and that's how you end up bringing a lot of javascript as part of your chunk also and then it's really messed up i mean you you don't know what uh, what is the dependency you are putting in imagine having a 50 60 modules each module importing it you, you can end up having circular dependencies you can end up having a lot of cross dependencies and i mean we we do plan we do want to go towards micro front end also and then having a plan to do that kind of a thing would actually make it really complex thing i mean if you have that that right. sort of a cross dependency you would it would be really a difficult task having separating all of those things so so basically we use that there where we we have we are using it very extensively in this particular use case where you you just want to see that component from some other module you want to see it here you just say okay this is my selector and this is my component. and because we are doing lazy loading it it, it which first ui first request is would would trigger its request for the module and then if the user goes on some other place the component is rendered like without loading that module i mean it it works automatically right yep. so that is our one of our use cases and then uh, yeah i mean around this we we are using it at different typical use cases one of this and then uh, yeah. like i said iframe is one another very important use case for us because our application is also a platform but is also a consumer inside another platform so vmware has a vsphere product and then ours is a networking product we go as a mm-hmm. child in vsphere but our product also has children like a smaller applications that build are built around it we have a plugin framework and integrate with them through iframes so ours is a parent and child also we we may want to we we load iframe and in dialogs or in inside our applications also so basically all all places we have this kind of thing where we are using string selectors cool All right. Well, I don't know that I have any other questions. If people want to reach out to you and ask more questions, where do they find you online? I think I'm mostly active on Twitter. Uh, people can reach out to me on that. I think I have my Twitter link on the article also and basically it's Tarang Khandelwa without L. That's my Twitter handle. They can reach out to me and can start. All right. Can you put that into the chat? Otherwise, I don't know how many people are going to be able to just spell that off the top of their head. Yeah, I just give me um and I'll just put my link in the chat. All right. And uh, we'll put a link to the article into the show notes as well. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. and you can go sign up at devchat.tv/premium. The next segment of the show is picks and so we'll just shout out about stuff. I'll go ahead and go first. I have a few things that I'm going to be shouting out about. The first one is so I've been working on kind of solidifying the processes around a lot of things in devchat.tv and um mm-hmm. I've got a couple of things that I just want to talk through that are playing a major role in that. One of the first things that I'm using for that is I've been pulling together Zapier and I've mentioned Zapier several times as one of the key tools that we use at devchat.tv to pull this stuff together. I'm actually moving off of Google Docs and we've been using Google Docs for a long time to collaborate with our guests on on some of the various uh episodes and one of the things that I'm finding is it's just a little bit clunky. One of the 
things that we've run across with it is just that if with Google Docs, I kind of just have to put a template in. I don't really have a better way of doing that. And it doesn't notify people when it gets updated. And those have been kind of the two major things there that, yeah, have just been problematic for us. And so I've been looking at switching it to something that does notify. The problem with some of the other systems that notify people is that I have to pay per account that I attach to it. And so if I'm doing that per guest and I'm paying per account per guest, then that becomes a problem, right? So something like Slack or something like that. Now I can use Slack for free and just not worry about keeping the history, but sometimes that's helpful as well. And so I was looking at other systems and I've settled on Discourse. And I don't know how many folks have used Discourse. I've kind of been tempted to set up a Discourse that's just kind of open and out there for the Angular community, right? So that you, we all have mm-hmm. a place to go and just have discussions about Angular. But I've set up one that's just kind of a semi-private one for, for the hosts and guests and my team at devchat.tv. And so what we would do then is we would say, hey, we have a discourse server where we prepare for the episode. And that way my team can go in and say, hey, this is the blog post that we invited Tarang to come and talk to us mm-hmm. about, right? We can throw some questions on there and say, hey, these are the questions that I have about this article, right? So that he could come and be prepared to answer them or maybe give us a little bit of context before we show up. And then we can say, okay, well, if you're going to answer these questions this way, then I have this other question that I would ask, right? And then we can kind of be ready to just have the discussion. He can put all his social media links in there, right? You've got all this stuff that we can be ready for before we get going. We could have the picks in there. We could have all the other stuff. And I really like it as a discussion board anyway. So I'm going to pick Discourse. Uh, You can find it at discourse.org. You can also just pay them to run your Discourse server. But in my experience, it's not that hard to keep up. And to set it up, what what I've done is I've just used DigitalOcean. Now, full disclaimer, they're coming on board as a sponsor right now. So, but I'm, I, I use them for my hosting. So it's, it's not a paid sponsorship at this point. And I actually use them, so I don't feel bad promoting them. But I feel like I need to tell people if they're giving me money or are going to be giving me money or have given me money in the past, which they have. So, but yeah, you just go in to their marketplace and you say, I want a discourse server and you set it up. It takes like five minutes and it's sweet. I love it. And it'll send out emails and stuff. And it integrates with Zapier, (laughs) right? So I can set it up and it'll set up the discussion channel. I am working on having it send an invite to somebody. And so that way, when somebody sets up a, uh, when somebody sets up a, when they set up an appointment for Mm -hmm. an episode in schedule once, it'll invite them to the board or invite them to the topic if they already have an account. So I'm I'm working on that piece. Apparently, you can do it with webhooks through Zapier. It's not just a straightforward integration. But I'm working on figuring that piece out because if I can get those things together, then it just all becomes automatic, right? They get the invite. It's, hey, join the board. It'll flag you, right? You'll get a notification that, you know, you should then join that topic and come talk to us and discuss the episode. The other thing it will also do is it'll also ask them, hey, are you interested in being a host if we have an opening? Are you interested in filling in on just an episode here or there if we have an opening, right? If somebody can't make it, because sometimes that's the other issue, right? And then we can, 
um, make sure that we know who's willing to help us out when we have open spots for hosts and stuff like that. So anyway, long pick, but I'm pretty excited about that. And then uh, the other pick that I have, and this is another thing that I'm working on, is, and and this is something that's kind of a goal for me. I was talking to a friend of mine named mm-hmm. Manny, and he set up a system called Focus Blocks, and that's focusblocks.io. And I'll put my referral link in just because it's a cool tool. But And he's going 24 hours with it. But what it is, is you basically set an appointment on Focus Blocks. And then you show up and there'll be other people on, on the call as well, but it's a Zoom call and they just gear you up so that you can spend an hour of focus time, or I guess it's about 53 minutes, but you spend 53 minutes of focus time doing a thing. You leave your camera on for kind of accountability, right? So they know you're not fiddling right. around on your phone or whatever, but you get your stuff done. And one thing that I'm finding is if I can get focus time in, then I get more stuff done. And so I'm, I'm going to be getting more stuff done. My goal is, is by the start of the next school year to be able to, I have a full-time job right now. I, I started it in September and I want to okay. kind of give them a full year. I feel like that's fair. But at the end of that full year, I want to be able to quit that job. And I want to be able to be working on the podcast essentially until about two or three in the afternoon. And then I want to mm-hmm. be able to go downstairs and be helping my kids with their homework, helping them with getting their chores done, and then spending time with them, right? And hey, uh, hey. my oldest is going to be 16 in December. My youngest is five. She's starting awesome. kindergarten. But I want to be able to be spending the afternoon with them. So that's my goal. And so what that means is that I've got to be getting my team together to the point where they can handle all the other podcast stuff. I show up for the shows whenever they're being recorded right the shows that i'm on which also means that i need to find more hosts if you're interested in hosting and then for the rest of it right i just need to be getting the focus time in on the stuff that i have to do to be involved in the shows so focusblocks.io is the other one and i'll put my referral link into the show notes interesting i i like the whole story and this is the first plug i mean you was it really makes sense to have a end-to-end integration with the story and having things automated and even the second idea looks interesting i would be eager to look at that actually yeah well. manny interestingly enough you said you're from india so is he he lives in san diego but oh anyway. okay anyway do you have some picks do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show yeah, I actually wanted to talk one of them because when you are saying it's, a, I, I think you might have heard about it. It's about it's Excalibur. One of the tools I used, started to use it. Like, let me put it in the. It's an open source sort of thing, but it it really is a tool where you could actually put your thoughts while you are discussing or doing a brainstorming sessions and then collaborate also. Uh, a lot of folks on Twitter community also I've seen using it. I mean, it, people can use it for all kinds of stuff, like creating blog diagrams, workflows, or maybe just stories, uh, documentations also, all, all sort of things. It's really easy to use. And yeah, open source also. I mean, one, one can host privately also and all those things. One can create toolkits or libraries for like a reusable shapes and all. I mean, I think one should give it a try. I mean, I, I even I'm using it for like three, four months now, but it it's like, I've been using it for creating documentation for certain libraries I'm creating. I'm using it for presenting my ideas, for workflows, for visualizations also, all sort of things. So, yeah. 
I think that was one of the picks I had. Awesome. Yeah, I've been following a little bit of that. I think, oh, what's his name? It's the guy that created React. He Anyway, he's been working on that. Okay. I've been emailing him back and forth. So. Oh, okay. Cool. I mean, that is really nice. I mean, I'm just using it. I just figured out from Twitter and then I found it really useful. I mean, I've, I've shared yeah. it with a lot of folks and feedback is really good. And it's really quick. I mean, just just, just the job for us. Go there, do your thing and come back. Yep. Yeah, I just, I can't remember his name, but yeah, it looks really cool. So anyway, good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for coming. This has been really fun. And hopefully some folks who need this kind of a solution will go check it out. Thanks, Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I hope this could help some of the folks on the Angular world. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it will. I, I think it's an interesting approach and I think it'll solve some problems for some folks. All right, folks. Until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.